name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This past Tuesday, I was visiting the CCD classes, the ones that I could during that hour, mostly the lower grades. And among the fifth graders who were talking about uh, creation, I asked them how many had ever seen a perfectly black night sky filled with stars. Barely half of them raised their hand. If you've been more than half an hour west of the I-95 corridor or been half hour east of the East Coast or on a mountaintop or presumably in a desert, which I haven't done, and you've seen the night sky full of stars, completely full of stars, you've seen what humanity looked forward to at the end of each day We think of the sunset as being brilliant and beautiful and lovely and sort of the the end of the colorful, delightful part of the day. It's because we're already used to living in an electrified world. But human beings would always look forward to the brilliance and the the vitality of of the night sky, completely alive, brimming with life. It's more fascinating than seeing little tiny fish that are translucent or have colorful glitter at the bottom of the ocean. Every human being was meant to see the glory of the universe. And nowadays, so very few ever see it at all. So I encourage them to go. Go, go west. Go camping. Do something to get away. Because it's almost impossible for a human being to see all of that glory in the night sky with its beauty and its order and its magnificence and not believe in God. It's almost impossible. Obviously, individuals occasionally don't believe in God. But as cultures, as groups, and as societies, that doesn't happen. First time it happened was in Albania in the 20th century. But how much more likely is it for human beings not to believe that the universe has been created by someone beautiful when they see mostly brick and asphalt? when trees just simply fill gutters and grass just simply needs to be manicured. This coming week, I'll ask them a similar question. How many of them have held in their hands a newborn baby? Not in their arms. That's already several weeks or months old, but in their Hand, a newborn baby, tiny little, right? Six pounds, seven ounce, little baby. And you can't but be amazed and, and just marvel and 
be overwhelmed at, at a, a beautiful, beautiful life that's not even new, right? It's been in, inside mom for nine months. It's impossible to see something so beautiful and so perfect, even with perfect imperfections, and not come away with awe and love. It's almost impossible to, to hold a newborn baby and think that it's perfectly okay to dispose of this as though he or she wasn't it, or to dismember it as a thing that's inconveniently located, Right? Or to treat a baby as a disease. Impossible. In large families, almost everyone would have the chance to hold a newborn baby, except for the baby, of course. But how much more rare is that in the world in which we live? When we gaze at our Lord's divine face, when we hold Our Lady's hand and we visit the events of his life as we meditate on the mysteries of the rosary, it is impossible to come away not drawn to love him all the more, to marvel at his humility, to weep for his suffering to be grateful for his glory, his victory. When the rosary is simply churning out prayers and checking boxes, doesn't have much meditative value. But when we take the time to, to simply marvel at our Lord and slowly accompany him through the events of his life as we read in the Gospels, it changes us. And it changes the world. As you know, October 7th in the year 1571, at the Battle of Lepanto, Pope St. Pius V had already prepared the Christian faithful. He had tried to cobble together a defense so that Christianity would not be eradicated and Christians not murdered and Europe overtaken. Entrusting the various navies to Don Juan of Austria, Pope St. Pius V ordered that all the churches in Rome be kept open from October 6th to October 7th so that Christians could pray overnight and beg Our Lady's intercession and pray the rosary. And the fortuitous wind shift that permitted an outnumbered Christian fleet to be victorious resulted in October 7th being known first as Our Lady of Victory and then eventually as the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. It also happens to be my father's birthday. Before I was big enough and old enough to observe what was going on at home, he was your classical 
angry newsman. He was a newspaper man his whole life, despised the term journalist, even though he was in magazines for the last few decades as chief of the news desk at U.S. News and World Report. He would come home and watch the evening news and get furious at how the networks were twisting and distorting the events of the day. He would shout at the television. If he'd had a brick handy, he probably would have destroyed many TVs. Or so I'm told, I don't know, because I never met that man. Because by the time I was old enough to be aware of what was going on, he had been praying the rosary every day for many years. I am sure my mother encouraged him in her own subtle German way that he needed to get his act together. He turned into the kindest, sweetest human being you would ever want to meet. And I mean that sincerely. If you met someone kinder or sweeter, it would be a little weird. So kind and sweet that as a teenager, I wanted to crawl out of my skin because of how, how gracious he was with friends of mine or teachers or neighbors or coaches. I wanted him to be not so nice. When we pray the rosary, again, if we're just churning out prayers, then um, nothing I am about to say uh, applies. And by churning out prayers, I don't necessarily mean quickly. You could be churning out prayers slowly and just meditating on the grammar of the Hail Mary. That's not the point. The Hail Mary is the soundtrack. So that you're meditating on visiting and actually being with Our Lady and Our Lord through the events of his life. You are lifting yourself up and being with him. When that happens, you change. It's impossible for you to avoid change. Imagine then what happens too when you're not only praying the rosary and lifting yourself up to heaven, but you're interceding and you're lifting someone else up to heaven and you're saying, Lord, change their heart. Give them grace. Send them your love. Heal them. When we encounter people who do not recognize a creator of the universe, when we interact with people who do think that a baby is a thing and a piece of property and perfectly um, subject to dismemberment in utero, we're not necessarily dealing with people who need more information. Some people, perhaps. Some people might need to know when that baby's heartbeat begins or when that baby starts to move or when that baby becomes a unique individual human being, namely at fertilization. Some people need more information, and only that. Saul became St. Paul because he just needed one piece of information, namely that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead and really is in heaven. That's the only thing he needed to know. 
His life was already completely dedicated to everything he knew to be good, true, and beautiful. He was already obeying God as much as much as he knew how to. But with that one datum that Christ lives, everything changed. And it took him almost three years, or upwards of three years, to meditate on everything in light of that one new fact. Then he started traveling and preaching. Most people don't need more information. Most people need to have whatever is harming them, whatever has wounded them, whatever is impairing them, to be healed. We were made to recognize the truth. When the veils are taken away and we can see reality, human beings can acknowledge it and recognize it and comport themselves with it. We were made to be fulfilled by God. We were made to recognize and know the truth. We were, we were made to be happiest when we're good. And as we know, this all takes the help of God's grace to illuminate, to sanctify, but God doesn't lack in generosity. So as we confront and do battle with those who want to eradicate the Christian faith, those who refuse to acknowledge the obvious facts of nature written in man, male and female, from the beginnings of life to the end of life to marriage and everything else, We contend and we, and, and we do battle, but we realize we're, we're confronting a spiritual confrontation. We're facing a spiritual confrontation. And these people need, they need to be healed. Their obstacle isn't external. Their obstacle is internal. And so we lift them up to God. And pray that they be able to see and be able to hear as human beings are made to. That whatever prevents them from seeing, whatever prevents them from recognizing what God has made, that it be removed. For some, it's their own self-inflicted, sinful Damage For others, it's what others have done to them, or it's their own despair or their own refusal to acknowledge that anything good could be part of their world. So as we take up the rosary to do spiritual combat, we, we do so knowing that some of our enemies are permanently and forever opposed to us because they are fallen angels. Others need our prayers and intercession because we never just simply pray for ourselves or those who are with us. We pray for all souls. We lift up the whole broken world and ask the Lord to heal it, for Mary to accompany us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.